0: I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.
1: Selling a little or a lot?
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at Mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at Mintmobile.com.
3: Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find
4: upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is
5: advised at all times sit back, and enjoy. I wanted to keep them with me. And uh, as my obsession grew, I was saving body parts, such as uh, skulls and uh, skeletons.
1: How did Jeffrey Dahmer get away with murder after murder for 13 years? How did a boy born into a hardworking middle class family turn into the worst kind of monster imaginable?
5: I desensitized myself to it. I, I
2: I don't know, I went to great lengths. He is pure evil, but you'd never know it by looking at him. But when you hear him, that's another story.
1: The hitchhiker's name was Stephen Hicks. He was just 18. Jeffrey Dahmer took him to his parents' house. There he strangled him with a barbell. He dismembered the body and hid it in a drain pipe. It was Jeffrey Dahmer who gave those details to the police in his confession.
5: It was, a, it was almost addictive. It was almost uh, a surge of energy. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Mm-hmm. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle, it was a way of uh, making me feel that uh, they were a part of me. I can't think of anything that would have stopped me.
4: And welcome to Wicked Murder a Podcast. The time has come, Ben. The audience vote. What
3: have they picked? The votes are in, Tom. Dennis Nilsson lost. Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer won. In case they didn't guess from the episode title, we're covering Jeffrey Dahmer today. It's a big one. It's a very big, big one.
4: It is a big old case. Producer Dan, how are you doing?
0: Welcome back, boys. I'm doing all right. I've got a uh, a bit of a sinus infection, so I sound a bit gravitas. Like? A gra- bit gravitas. But uh, it's not going to hold me back. I, Definitely I,
4: not. I respect that. I do respect Thanks. that. And before we start, I want to say a quick shout out to the Happy Hour Boys. I went to see them. Oh, I was filming them at their live show the other day. Yeah. And met a, f- a fair few people who knew who we were, which is lovely. So That's lo- awesome. Lots of lovely chats with people about the podcast. Yeah. And, is Ben here? And I was like, no. Couldn't couldn't get a ticket. There was plenty available.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, it was, it was sold up. It was a great show and... Uh, Did inspire me to one day want to try to do something. Get this show on the road. Like that, maybe just in a corner shop or just outside the front of a petrol station, just a little gathering, us talking about
3: crimes and criminals. I could see that. Yeah? Yeah, I could see that. Maybe in a pool hall. Yeah. But no, very big case. Arguably one of the biggest cases of all time. You know, some people have said that. I guess it depends on what your score case is
4: on, in notoriety or in gruesomeness or in bodies. I mean, it's
3: a very gruesome case. I don't know if you'd say it's the number one. I think in some people's worlds, it's definitely number one. But no, a massive case, a whole ton of gruesome little details to go over. I'm excited to cover this one with you. This is the penultimate episode of the series. It so uh, we've got a big, big episode next week to conclude. And in the meantime, if you want to stay in the loop of all the things we're doing, then why not consider following us on Instagram, which is at Good Pod, Twitter at Good Pod, and Facebook, just search Good Podcast. We'll pop up. We'll pop up. We'll be there. It's really, it's really bubbling away, this community.
4: <laughs> it really... Every day I look at that, I'm like... You bloody guys. <laughs> and they get it. They get it. They understand. And there's a lovely little family over there. And Ben,
3: it's becoming a little bit of a tradition for us. Could
4: you possibly run through the different names there is for this case?
3: I can definitely do that for you. So we'll start with Jeffrey Dahmer. Yep, classic. The Milwaukee Cannibal. The Monster of Milwaukee. There's a lot of Milwaukee in here. Um, that's not one of the names. The Milwaukee Man-Eater. The Maniac of Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Monster. I think some of them as well have just, you know, you could have it either way around. The monster of Milwaukee. The beast of Milwaukee. Jeffrey Dharma, the people Nama. Jeff- no, it's Nama. Jeffrey Dharma, the people Nama. You said when you saw it that it looks like something I made up. Yeah. I found it online and it wasn't something of mine that I found online. I think you should still have a bit of a quality control element yeah. to you. Yeah, this one made it in. Jeffrey Dharma, the people Nama. Nama. Jeffrey Dharma, the people Nama. Just did not sound right, does it? None of it. Yeah, that's why it's shit. How would you pronounce it,
4: Jeffrey Dahmer the People Nama?
0: <laughs> that
3: sounds shit. Yeah.
0: It does yeah, sound
4: yeah, shit. That's why I yeah. don't know why it's in the list.
3: Jeffrey Dahmer the People Nama. And what, what does Nama mean? It's like a Northern way of saying Nama. Oh yeah. You're, oh, because uh, you're, you're... you're namin' on that, are you? Northern American. I don't know. Um And the zombie from Milwaukee. There's a supposed rhyme there, but I couldn't make it happen is there zombie Milwaukee there's not Eminem could make that happen could he mm-hmm see how many words he can rhyme with orange it's loads
4: okay yeah so I'm probably gonna go with the Milwaukee cannibal I would have thought from that but I don't know yeah there, well give me some, some options there's some food. good ones and there's
3: some terrible ones in there Are there? put them all in a hat and see what one we get nom 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 nom
4: <laughs> so that's why it's nommer isn't it because it's
3: nom nom nommer but yeah, lots of names this week. But before we get into the case, we want to say a welcome back to this week's sponsor, Dead Happy.
4: Now Ben, when you arrived today, you were showing us a little thing on your phone, it wasn't that that video which was Okay. But it was that, that still that you showed us. It was an eye-wateringly high bill. Yes. And yeah, nowadays, yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously, we all know bills are getting higher. And people are looking to pinch pennies
3: where they can. And Dead Happy can help you do that with your life insurance. So, Tom, our podcast very much highlights the fact that people never know exactly what's around the corner. And if you're going around that corner unprepared or uncovered... You're an idiot. Exactly. And don't go around corners uncovered, obviously, because that's illegal. It is. Um,
4: we, we can't insure you for that.
3: Yeah. Especially not that.
4: <laughs> Am I right? And people out there might already be a cool cat and have their life insured, Ben, and they be like, I've already got it, fuck off. But it's actually so simple to switch from that life insurance, the you know, one, to dead happy.
3: Yeah, and you'll be dead pleased with yourself for doing so, because not only are you saving time, you're also likely to be saving money. Now, often the thought is it could never happen to me. But why not ask our friend, Frane Seeluk? The unluckiest or luckiest man
4: alive. Yes, Ben, this man was in two car explosions, not just crashes. He fell out of a plane, he had a train crash, a bus sink, and he was hit by a bus. And he, he, he did survive those, but... I don't think many people are built like friends to see that. Camp. Exactly. And I think you should bloody get insured If someone like him walking around and getting hit by all those things. Yeah,
3: it could be you. And Frame later went on to win the lottery. Twice. Unbelievable story, twice. Yeah. So, uh, you know. I
4: to think he's just a fucking liar. To be fair. Yeah. There's a lot of. There's a lot of like that's just not happened, has it, Frame? But I still think you guys should get insured. And Dead Happy, I sorted our listeners out with three months free if you use the code MURDER at
3: checkout. So why not support yourself, support your lives, but also support your friends here at I Can Murder a podcast? We would really, really appreciate it. And it supports the channel. So, Tom, let's get into the case. Let's. Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer was born on the 21st of May, 1960, in West Allis, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was the oldest of two boys born to Lionel Herbert Dharma and Joyce Annette Dharma. His younger brother David Dharma was born seven years after Geoffrey. and interestingly, the mother Joyce allowed Geoffrey to handpick the name for David.
4: Got quite a boring name there. If you had that power, yeah, you could call anything. I'm going to call him Daffy. Daffy Dharma. It's a great name. Yeah. He would have gone far as well.
3: And despite naming his brother, Jeffrey would later go on to become very agitated and envious of David. And this was because he felt that David was the golden child and the parents were far more fond of spending their time and affection on him. You've got a younger brother? Uh, I have, Similar? Yes. Different name. Yeah, but I mean, the dynamic in the household. I would, we've talked about this before, it got me in a little bit of hot water. Um, no, it's the opposite to this case. Oh, really? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> wow. Shine on me. <laughs> Golden Shine. Golden Shower. Golden Shine.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Both of Jeffrey's parents worked long hours, and his dad would actually intentionally stay longer to avoid seeing his mother because there the, was quite a turbulent mm-hmm. relationship, a lot of arguments, which meant the two boys would stay at home, often alone for long periods.
3: So his father, Lionel, who we're going to go on to discuss in some more detail uh, later in the episode, very fascinating character, lots to unpack about him, but he was a research chemist and also a chemical analyst. And he, as you may have guessed, also studied chemistry and formed a deep fascination with all things science orientated.
4: Did he eat and drink as well?
3: He did eat and drink as well. Well, fuck. Breather.
4: So often Lionel would bring work home with him, uh, leaving various chemicals and stuff around the house. This is where Dharma became to get very fascinated with chemicals and its reactions. But we're going to go into where that led. I'm sure Lionel wasn't thinking that when leaving. I mean, you wouldn't leave chemicals alone around the house. That's how the Chemical Brothers started. <laughs> but um, it's not. There. It piqued uh, Dharma's interest and he started wanting to kind of experiment with it. But we're, it's going to get very bleak about that mm-hmm. later on.
3: His mother, Joyce, was a teletype teleprinter who had been described as very closed, very cold and very controlling. When she had too many cakes, she was a teletubby. (laughs) (laughs) With both her husband, Lionel, and Geoffrey, stating that she was known to be a very tense individual who was highly argumentative with both family members, friends, and also she apparently looked for any reason to argue uh, with her neighbours. She was also described as an attention seeker who would seemingly... Look and uh, want for attention of all forms, good and bad. What is a bad form of attention? Ben? Pity. Pity. Yeah. Oh, give
4: me pity. Oh, I feel sure to give me pity. So whilst pregnant with Jeffrey, his mother Joyce was continuously battling various mental health conditions, including depression and hypochondria. She would take up to 20 pills per day, most of which were antidepressants and growth hormones. She would go on to state that she also experienced many seizure-like symptoms during her pregnancy and would take controlled medications to treat this, which during particular stages of pregnancy can be massively risky towards the baby's health. Growth hormones is an interesting one to take whilst you're pregnant.
3: I, I assumed it was to prompt baby growth, but... I didn't know if that was a a poor assumption to make. I don't think that's a thing. Dan? No.
0: Shaking his head could be a thing. Hold it right there, people. Sorry to interrupt. I just want to say a huge thanks to our brand new sponsor, Harry's. Who the is Harry, you say? No, Harry's, the shaving company. Now, if you've heard about Harry's or seen Harry's on the TV, it's not just a shaving company. It's way more than that. It's a whole skincare ethos. Harry's believes that a good pre-shave routine can make all the difference between a nasty irritation and close, comfortable results. So here's a question. To those people who shave their face, do you use a face wash before you shave? I bet you don't. And to be honest, I've never thought about it before, but it all makes sense. Excess oil and dead skin cells build up over time. Exfoliating all of this away from your face before you shave means you're less likely to suffer from ingrowns and breakouts. Using the Harry's Gentle Cleanser leaves the skin feeling refreshed, the hair soft, making your shave feel smoother than before. And it just it just feels really good to use the team over at harry's sent us a little sample pack and
2: boy has it changed my skincare routine
0: for one the weighted handle of the shaver feels so good two the face wash feels insane and three harry's has kindly sorted out our listeners so much so you can redeem a free harry's trial set and all you have to do is cover the three pounds 95 delivery fee just head over to harry's.com forward slash murder to have your set delivered and start a shave plan honestly this is such a good offer if you redeem it you get a good deal and you really help us out too a no-brainer okay sorry about that back to the boys
4: so yeah drugs taken during the first trimester can produce congenital malformations the riskiest period is from the third to the 11th week of pregnancy drugs taken during the second and third trimester can affect the growth and development of the your growing baby so yeah
3: if she's, yeah, she's taken earlier on it can really affect that but i mean dharma came out tall. i thought you were gonna say dharma came out just fine no which is not yeah he did no, come out tall no. which is again maybe the growth hormones Mm. Peter Crouch, perhaps his mum. Yeah. So it's argued to this day whether Jeffrey had an unusual childhood or not, and there's a lots of conjecture around this one. Some saying that he had a, a perfectly fine upbringing, parents doted on him, loved him, gave him all the care and affection and attention in the world, but many more believe that he had quite a dark childhood. They believe that uh, Jeffrey, well, and Jeffrey himself believed that he was attention deprived and was raised in a very cold, affectionless household. One interesting quote from Lionel, the father, said that Joyce didn't want anyone touching the baby or breathing on it. It, as well. Mm. She was afraid of germs. He would then also go on to confirm that Joyce, his, Jeffrey's mother, rarely touched Jeffrey as an infant except to change his diaper or hold him for a photo.
4: Yeah, so my opinion on that is it sounds like if that's, I mean, that's his dad saying that and his dad from everything I've seen seems quite measured in his actual looking back at the childhood and stuff. And so I don't know why he would make that up and lie about that. And just going back to him staying late at work and working late to avoid the mum and avoid the conflict, he's neglecting jeffrey there obviously by yeah. that but i mean a lot of pa- lot of parents work late and aren't at home and stuff like that so you, we've definitely been for a lot more traumatic childhoods for, for different uh, cases this one doesn't seem to stick out for me as being
3: particularly dark and grim yeah i see what you're saying there's definitely some far worse ones but this one's really interesting in that what will go on to happen and what he all this alone time that he has and what, how he would use that but also the things he would become fascinated with and obsessed with possibly as a result of a combined influence of the parents it's Yeah, really interesting. Really, really interesting. But there are arguments that he had a very stable household and it was just a case of not having much face-to-face time with the Barons.
4: So Jeffrey's parents had a highly turbulent relationship, which made maintaining the marriage and a stable family dynamic very challenging. So during most of Jeffrey's early life, his father Lionel was studying chemistry at the University of Marquette, which would often keep him away from the family home for extended periods of time. Jeffrey would say that he felt his father was, for most of his life, emotionally and physically absent, claiming that the pair never had a single real conversation.
3: It was during these years that Jeffrey's mother, Joyce, had many significant battles with depression as well as her hypochondria, which often resulted in her being bedbound for weeks at a time. And on one particular occasion even resulted in an attempted suicide via an intentional overdose with the tranquilizer Meprobamate. This also made Jeffrey feel very much distanced from his mother. Her battles with depression would occur once again when she became pregnant with David. So from a very young age, Geoffrey views his family dynamic as very unstable, very volatile and very much filled with tensions. He would later state that from a very young age, he was unsure of the solidity of the family and that whenever both parents were present in the family house, it would almost always result in a heated argument with Lionel often walking out of the house. Kind of reminded of that Grandpa Simpson when he walks in and walks back out. He, he didn't want to be there, did he? Grandpa, uh, Grandpa and, Grandpa did and want Lionel. There because Bart was
4: working there. Bart messed it up, didn't he? So despite the turbulent uh, relationship in the household, Geoffrey was described as a very happy, bright child, confident and energetic. But this all seemed to change between the ages of four and six. He had surgery for a double hernia and claims that he was sexually abused by a neighbour. Geoffrey would become a completely different person after these incidents. When he attended elementary school, Geoffrey was described as a very introverted and painfully shy young boy. At times, displayed symptoms of somebody suffering with abandonment issues. However, Jeffrey was able to form a small friendship group and performed well academically.
3: In October of 1966, the Dahmer family moved to Doylestown, Ohio, and during the same year, Joyce gave birth to David whilst Lionel finally earned his degree. When they make this move, uh, what seemed like initially a fairly insignificant moment in Dharma's life turns out to be a majorly significant one. And what happened was he witnessed his father removing animal bones from under the house. So it had like a the crawl space. Yeah, yeah. Had a, had a crawl space, Tom, which I've had previouses with. You used to think chickens lived there. Yes. Yeah. But I've, I mean, it's an educational podcast and I'm learning along the way as well, which, is, great. which I feel OK about. I feel, you yeah. know, getting there. All power to you. Thank you very much, and you know who's to say it wasn't skeleton bones that he was pulling out of that crawl space because some yeah did I say skeleton (laughs) bones? Because I mean that would have been okay as well. I think skeletons are that's what bones are made of. So you are right. (laughs) (laughs) There's a there's a chance someone made the same mistake as me and had to try to raise some chickens in a crawl space. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Young Jeffrey, he sees his dad removing animal bones from within the crawl space and placing them out on the garden. And he's six at this point. So most children of that age probably don't know what's what they are. What's going on there? Maybe I'm talking for myself here, but I think
4: I would know. I like the funny bones books, so I probably did know a, yeah. a bit of a
0: skeletons, book, but right? from under Elliot, a house. Elliot knows very much about bones and huh? skeletons and There you go. Okay. Creepy stuff like that.
3: Fair enough. Well, this goes to a new level. So seeing the skeletal remains of an animal absolutely fascinated young Jeffrey. You know, he's six years old at this stage. According to his father, Lionel, Jeffrey absolutely loved the sounds the bones made as they rattled against one another as he pulled more and more from within the crawl space and that Jeffrey was oddly thrilled by this. But yeah, I thought I just made a note for parents listening. I know there's a, quite a few parents that like listening to the podcast, especially parents that have any kind of Information about science or fondness for science. Would you expose your child to skeletal remains at six years old? You could say that to any parent, would they do that? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm asking the sciencey ones. Oh, because okay, so everyone else shut up. Well, all opinions are welcome.
4: I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. I think it's not, it's, it'd be very different. I'd say if it was the dad hunting, cutting up a body in front of him and that kind of thing, then mm. that's, but when it comes to just clearing out space and this is the circle of life kind of vibe, I think that's absolutely fine. Mm. Are you saying Lionel's to blame for what
3: happens next, mm, no, no, <laughs> but I have got some issues with Lionel. Oh, go on, I'll, I'll talk about oh, that. Yeah, I'd <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably just pop the Lion King on and, and let him circle a life that way. But bones from a crawl space, oh, sorry.
4: So, Lionel and Jeffrey would start referring to the bones as fiddlesticks, mm. which is interesting. And yeah, um, and from that point onwards, uh, Jeffrey was very obsessed with the skeletons and animal corpses. That's an eerie thing to be obsessed with yeah mm. i can understand like as i said the funny bones and like watching little cartoons which are a bit spooky like being fascinated by that kind of thing yeah i vaguely recall thinking zombies were interesting
3: yeah no that's that's a good point but i'm
4: not fascinated by how how old would you let a kid get
3: until if they had a pet goldfish you'd stop replacing it and just said that, that died because mm. i think six is too young i probably wouldn't get a goldfish no what would you what would you get your six year old? I'd probably
4: get a real, like, characterful animal that you couldn't replace. Yeah? Yeah. And then, for example, like a Dalmatian. And then next week, Dalmatian's dead, get an Alsatian. Like, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> he's evolved.
1: <laughs>
4: My
3: parents never
0: got a new animal to replace an animal to trip me. So. Is that, yeah, is that what you're saying, Ben? That six years is.
3: No, I think, I think, I the way I, when I read this, I was like, okay, I think Lionel's found some bones and gone, Jeffrey, come and have a look at this. Mm. That's the way I viewed it. But I mean, he could very well have just seen it as it happened. Hearing and then he'd be them, like, Oh rattling, yeah. The, yeah. The bones are there. What am I going to do? I'll teach him.
4: I guess there's a scientific mind as well. You are thinking very practically, yeah. you're thinking this is a good time. He's showing some interest that we're going to bond over this. Cause they don't really talk about things. Yeah. So yeah,
3: no, I know. I know what you mean. I feel like I'm on my side. On your own side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am questioning myself now. So, any parents? Yeah, you're. If especially if you've got six year old right now, would you show so them it's bones? This is too or specific,
4: not? Ben. You want the parent who's so a scientist that's got a six year old kid?
3: Yeah. So, any scientific parents of six year olds right now? Do you care that much about this topic? Yeah, email us, please. Email us. Yeah.
4: Sciency. Sciency. <laughs> Jeffrey started to bike around the town looking for roadkill on the nearby freeway. He would also search wooden areas and attempt to find dead animals. An important note here is that he's not interested at all in living animals or causing any harm to any animals that are alive. He's basically just looking for a dead animal to kind of uh, study. Study, I think that's fair. He wasn't looking for an animal to torture or abuse, for instance. But when he would find uh, live animals, he would pick them up and kind of map out where the bones mm. were and, and kind of he was very interested in just kind of the form of the animal. According to one friend, Dharma explained to him that he was curious as to how animals fitted Together, which Uh, again at six, yeah, it's it's it's, uh, I mean, I don't know how many animals it's catching
3: and replacing animals as well. Is it there's something about Mary where they replace me as well? What about (laughs) well? Just it just came to my mind then when you talked about animals fitting together and picking up and feeling animals. Is it is it there's something about Mary where those gangsters replace that blind child's budgie? It's dumb and dumber, dumb and dumber. Sorry pretty
4: bird
3: so just two years later the dharma family moved once again this time to bath township ohio this was lionel and joyce's sixth home since they got married and it was also the family's third home in two years so there's speculation as to why they were moving around so much was it for lionel's work was it for lionel's studies but there are also rumors that they moved around so frequently due to the fact that joyce so frequently fell out with her neighbors i can see both sides here so it's this particular move that is, is really key in, in Dharma's childhood. So this particular family home came with a large area of woodland that surrounded the property. And deep into the woods, there was a small abandoned hut. And this is a hut that Geoffrey decided to fill with roadkill. He would also fill it with various large insects, dead animals that he found throughout the woodlands, including squirrels, chipmunks, moths and dragonflies that he had collected. And in the hut... He formed a form of skeletal shrine the centerpiece of which was a dog's head he had placed on a stake
1: How would you like to look 5 years younger In a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment
2: That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: Oh, men, just drunkenly walking through a wood at night and finding that. Oh, yeah. I mean, sober would also be bad. Within the hut, there were also jars of animal remains that had been preserved in formaldehyde. And again, a reminder that he is, he's eight at this stage. So this hut, this nightmarish hut, is kind of the work of an eight-year-old. Well, the hut was there, but what's within the hut? The work of an eight-year-old.
0: Mm. I'm quite impressed. Yeah. Oh, so, is that, so that's
4: that's before... So he's playing on formaldehyde before he's very
3: Again, old. Lionel bringing work home with him, leaving a few acids and apparatus about. Some people say about chemists, their work never stops. Do they? Yeah, some of them more laid back ones say the work never starts, but they don't take any work home with them. They clock off and go to the pub.
4: <laughs> as a child, Geoffrey had a passion for the outdoors and loved searching for frogs and tapoles in local ponds and streams. And on one occasion, Geoffrey collected a bowl of tapoles that he presented to his favourite teacher as a gift. You did not hear much about Dharma being a very kind of giving guy. Sweet. Geoffrey uh, later found that she had given the tapoles to another student. That's cold. So Jeffrey took the bowl of tadpoles and poured motor
3: oil into the bowl, killing the tadpoles slowly. Oh, you've man. got you've got your own tadpoles, haven't you, Dan? So that one that
0: made me yeah hit him hard. I've got three left. Oh, out of the uh, I'd say about thirty tadpoles that I put in the pond. Oh, but those three boys are looking strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Fingers crossed for you, mate. Thank you, mate. If there's randomly motor oil in there one we'll night, you know he's been round. I don't. I don't like
0: I'm it,
4: vegetarian. So. <laughs> so yeah it's a bit odd that he knows at eight years old that would kill them but I guess yep. it's just mixing fresh water with oil it's probably going to slightly suffocate them
3: how do you know that at eight if you got a fish and you poured oil in it would you not think I, I, I don't know some, some eight year olds might think well it's a liquid they'll be fine in this liquid some I'd like to meet you when you're eight, when you're eight. I mean, that's a good number it's my favourite number it's symmetrical yeah but I'd like to see where you were I wasn't putting no but I mean development stage. <laughs>
4: Says so on your on your yeah. You barely knew that uh, fish in water just, to live at this age.
3: Well, not fish. Tadpoles thought that they looked like they could probably like newts. Newts could live in like water butts and stuff, which is water, obviously. Um, that's fine. Don't worry about. It. Yeah.
4: According to his father Lionel, when Jeffrey turned nine, whilst the family were eating a KFC dinner, Jeffrey asked his father, "Dad, what would happen if you put these chicken bones in a
3: bowl of bleach?" And that's Lionel's recollection of events, which for me. I don't think Jeffrey's asked that. I think he's, I've got a really like biased view on Lionel, as as you probably gathered. But I don't think that's something like it's tucking into a KFC. You look at the chicken, you go, "What? What would bleach do to this, Dad?" So what's the biased view? Because why do you lie about it? I reckon Lionel probably you know finish when you finish your chicken. Let's get the bones. You like bones because I've showed you the that stuff. The fiddlesticks. The yeah, yeah, the fiddlesticks. We'll put these fiddlesticks in some bleach. I think he's a very, very passionate chemist. Yeah, but he's already playing around with formaldehyde and things like that, so maybe we would ask that question. What parent is giving their kid formaldehyde?
4: So what do you mean? You said you're biased toward
0: Lionel. I just
3: think Lionel's... I think he's looking for a chance to say, look, let's put these bones in bleach. I'll show you what happens. I don't think a kid is going, what happens if we put this in okay, bleach? Okay, it's not biased
0: then. So you're saying that Lionel's twisting him early I've, rather than...
3: Yes, thank you, Dan. Yeah, that's Rather what,
0: than um, Jeffrey is learning about this and asking... Yeah, I think it, questions.
3: rather than Jeffrey being a keen student lionel is very much a keen teacher that's my view of it okay at this point i'm reminded of one of my most favorite twitter accounts which is the uh the didn't happen of the year awards yeah and i feel like that would be a prime contender for a didn't happen of the year
4: award but then when you know where dharma ended up i don't think it's too far-fetched
3: that's a very good point but carry on well i for for those that are not familiar i just included a couple of the didn't happen of the year award tweets Go for it. This is from Keith Adams, who has a Union Jack as a profile picture. Irrelevant. Just took my 93-year-old mum to vote. She's registered blind. In a very loud voice, she said, which box for out? A cheer went up from waiting voters. Uh, Another one. Daughter's 14-year-old friend had a temporary loss of sight on first vaccination. Possible mini-clot. My own mother, 72, had menopause 20 years ago, but since vaccination has been having periods again. In brackets, been checked out, no other cause. Husband's cousin had a stroke three days after booster. Yep. Thoughtful
4: emoji. Maybe it was just horny.
3: And then finally, my six-year-old niece just looked at me and said, does the air always smell like white privilege? Wow. Yeah. So I feel like some of Lionel's tales could be and that didn't happen of the year awards but also jeffrey was pretty bad so lionel's eyes lit up when he asked
4: this question if he and ben doesn't believe he asked the question yep. they thought this is a time for us to bond and he wanted to demonstrate this chemical reaction so lionel jumped at the chance to show jeffrey a chemical reaction and he, he got a bleach solution together put the bones in there and he showed how it would remove the, the um the meat off the bones and preserve the animal bones so uh yeah just a lovely father and son
3: moment there yeah, I can't help but think what the rest of the family are thinking, if they were there, the mother and David. I don't think it's as wild as... I feel like that's a pretty wild moment. I've had very uneventful KFCs. I haven't had a KFC for about six years, but very uneventful. If your dad
4: was a scientist, yeah. he might be more prone to talking about that kind of thing. And you'd be more prone to knowing about
3: chemicals. And to, if... Yeah, to be fair, dad does talk about driving a lot. There you go. And you like to drive. Do you like to drive? Interestingly, during a similar time period, Joyce began to increase the amount of antidepressants that she was taking, and she also began taking high doses of sleeping pills. So from learning uh, this new way to get rid of your KFC, uh, Jeffrey began to incorporate these techniques over the next few years when collecting roadkill and dead animals from the woods, placing the bleached and preserved skeletal remains all over his hut in the woods. He would occasionally place the skulls of dead roadkill on top of wooden crosses, and he would continue doing this through the next few years until he became a teenager so that hut is just something of nightmares isn't it if you stumble onto that how have the parents missed it as well it's on their property it's in a woodland isn't it maybe they're not going out there that much just shout on jeffrey
4: back for dinner kfc jeffrey straight back in there dad you got the bleach yeah they do not sound the most hands-on parents do they to be completely honest no. So at 15, Geoffrey decapitated a dead dog and impaled the head on a stick by the hut before nailing the remaining body to a tree next to the hut. He then invited one of his friends to the scene, claiming that he had actually found it rather than made it. But Geoffrey had actually been the architect of this ghoulish display himself.
3: So Jeffrey would go on to attend Revere High School, where he uh, would resume a fairly shy and introverted persona. So despite him being very, very much a closed book, he's still able to form friendship groups. Most of the school considered him an outcast. However, he would go on to develop a fondness for playing tennis and also playing in the school band for a period of time. He also, for a period of time, I believe, uh, took part in writing the school newsletter. Elementary school, they said he was a very bright, intelligent, articulate young man and again he was regarded as extremely bright, someone that was able to, you know, achieve a lot academically, but he just lacked drive and confidence.
4: That's what every parent's evening is, isn't it? He can do so well but he's he's not trying hard enough. He's talking too much in class. If he just applied himself, he'd yeah. be fine. Ben doesn't know that fish need water to <laughs> I remember we did a post about this on Instagram about even though he was very introverted, he liked to make his people laugh. He was a bit of a class clown, which a lot of people didn't expect him to be that guy, and they'd call it doing a dharma. Uh, So, like, doing things like making goat noises in the class. He used to do this thing in the library where the librarian was very strict. He had the book to his face and he was screaming at the top of his lungs her name. But she would never think it was him because it was so unlike him. So, who said that? Who said that? And he would just kind of get the book there. Kind of like a a modern-day bogeys. Yeah. um, That's legendary. Yeah, just intentionally walking around, bumping into walls, walking into doors, pretending to go for seizures and things like that, which I don't know how funny that is. But, uh, yeah, he he would do these kind of things, playing these kind of pranks. And people would say, he's
3: doing a Dharma. Yeah. He's done a Dharma. He's did a Lambert. You know, I, I do wonder, Tom, if this phrase, you know, later, in the later years, I'm talking sort of 20, 30 years beyond this, if that phrase was sort of banned from the high school reunions.
4: One of the friends who was talking about it on one of the documentaries I saw, he was still kind of giggling at what he did.
3: Oh, which was quite well, a high school or yeah. what he'd go on to do. Obviously, obviously that, that. that's not funny. No. No. There was another classmate as well that said when all of this came out Jeffrey was the second most likely one in his mind to have attended their high school and gone on to become a serial killer yeah it was number one in his early teenage years Jeffrey began drinking beer and various spirits with a particular favorite of his being gin he would keep bottles of gin in his locker and would drink it from a flask So he'd keep bottles of gin in his locker and he'd go back to fill up a flask from the locker. When other students would notice a distinct smell, they asked Geoffrey what he was drinking and he would say, my medicine. He started to develop a tolerance for alcohol so much that by the time he started attending high school, he was drinking similar amounts to that of a full-blown alcoholic. This was likely fueled by the divorce of his parents in 1977 with his father Lionel moving out of the family home some teachers uh, would even see jeffrey drinking on campus and there's a particular one we're going to talk about shortly but they didn't do anything about it or didn't feel that there was anything needed to be done about it because they felt that that was jeffrey's way of dealing with the trauma he had experienced and processing the pain of his parents marriage breaking down
4: in 1976 and 1977 Dam's grades had gone down considerably despite the fact he was said to have an IQ of 145. To help address this, his parents hired a private tutor, though this had limited impact. During the same period, in an attempt to save their marriage, his parents attended marriage counselling, they continued to fight frequently, and when Lionel discovered Joyce had engaged in a brief affair, in September 1977, they both decided to divorce, telling their sons that they wished to do so amicably.
3: So, as Dharma hit puberty, he also experienced a lot of inner conflict regarding his sexuality, realizing that he was most likely gay. He realized this when watching a male neighbor jog around his neighborhood. Uh, and this is uh, a neighbor that would frequently run by Jeffrey's house. And while Jeffrey was watching him, he experienced great deals of arousal and started fantasizing about carrying out sexual acts with this individual although not normal sexual acts. He fantasised about knocking this individual out and essentially being able to kind of molest his unconscious body.
4: His attraction was to lay by people, wasn't it? Like yeah. To lay next to people, and I think. Because he was aware of the conflict of, of being gay and the fact that um, it wasn't really at that time being gay in that kind of area. It was not a thing you'd ever admit to. He had in a t- turmoil about that. He didn't want to be gay and he was basically already assuming rejection in his head. Mm-hmm. So he thought the only way I'd be able to lay next to someone would be if I was to knock them out or have them out cold
3: next to me. Yeah. So that's actually something that Jeffrey would go on to try and do. This young man would run past the house at the same time every day. So on one particular day, Jeffrey hid in a bush just by uh, the corner of the road that he would run past, but the jogger didn't turn up. So for whatever reason, he decided uh, today was not a good day to go jogging. And that, you know, potentially saved that person's life or certainly saved that person uh, a potential brush-in with Jeffrey Dahmer and a baseball bat.
4: Bit of a sliding doors moment because quite young there, if he would have hit him in broad daylight with a bat, you can't rule out someone might have seen that and could have intervened. It would have been very interesting to know just how it would have panned out if... Guy did go in that day Not surprisingly Geoffrey didn't tell his parents About his sexuality As I mentioned It was a very hard time To be gay at that period And he believed as well That his parents would reject him And you know Make them even more distant to him But Geoffrey would go on To have his first homosexual experience When he was 16 Though they would never go on To have intercourse
3: So a couple of weeks Before his graduation uh, One of his teachers Saw Jeffrey Sitting on the grass Next to the school parking lot Having consumed Several cans of beer When the teacher threatened to report this To the principal As well as to his parents Geoffrey informed him That he was experiencing a lot of problems with his family life at home and that the school's guidance counsellor was fully aware of these problems. And again, the teacher took Jeffrey's word for it, didn't report it. Yeah, that is, it's very peculiar, the fact that I just
4: imagine the idea of drinking at that age yeah, on you... school property. Yeah, again, are going get in a lot of trouble and they just seem to brush it off. I mean... He's
3: doing a Dharma, just...
4: He's doing goat noise. He's having a laugh.
2: Yeah.
4: There's a real spooky picture, actually, of when think he was a, a, a school photo. He wasn't supposed to be in, but he snuck into it for really the kind of like the kind of gifted students in the yearbook. They've actually the person who was pissed off because it was his kind of group or his class or whatever. They actually blacked out Dharma's face. So it's printed Ooh. in all the books. Just this one face in the crowd, which is a blacked-out face, which is Dharma, which is fairly spooky. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Jeffrey's parents' divorce was finalized on July twenty-fourth, nineteen seventy-eight, and Joyce was awarded custody of both Jeffrey and David, despite concerns regarding her mental health, and would receive alimony payments for both boys from Lionel. As a result, Joyce and her youngest son David moved out of the family home to live with relatives over in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, which left eighteen-year-old Jeffrey Dharma home alone. And that's when he starts setting up traps. Home Alone with casting Jeffrey Dahmer would be a very different story, wouldn't it?
3: Yes. Yes. Mm. Bleach and bone. So he's 18 years old, he has abandonment issues, serious abandonment issues uh, relating to both of his parents, fascination with skeletons and innards and the the viscera, the kind of satiny kind of look of of blood and organs, a lot of inner conflict regarding his sexuality, a heavy dependence on alcoholism and absolutely nobody to talk to or confide in. So he's carrying a lot at this point, he's harboring a lot here and it's only going to get darker and only going to get bleaker. So now we're going to go into the timeline for Jeffrey Dahmer. June 18th, 1978. So at this point, Dahmer is having deeper and deeper fascinations and uh, daydreams about picking up uh, a male hitchhiker. So as fate would have it, 19-year-old Stephen Hicks, who was a shirtless hitchhiker, was making his way towards a concert in nearby Chippewa Lake Park. Dahmer was driving, scouting the area, thinking there's no chance I'll find her. Shirtless hitchhiker, what are the odds? He picks him up and takes Stephen back to the Dharma house for a few beers. I think, as well as a few uh, cheeky um, bifters as well. For a few beers and a few bifters. Thank you so much. After he had been at Dharma's house for a while, Stephen mentioned leaving in order to pick up his girlfriend. It was then that Dharma's attitude changed. He panicked and he wanted to keep Stephen from leaving. Dharma picked up a 10 pound dumbbell and hit Stephen over the head. He then proceeded to strangle Stephen to death with the dumbbell. He would then slowly undress Stephen's corpse and masturbate onto the body. Over the next couple of weeks, he methodically stripped the flesh from the bones, smashed the skull and disposed of the few remains in shallow graves in the back garden. After this point, Dharma had uh, the rest of the body still to dispose of, and he decided to bag the body up and try and take it away from the the Dharma household. And on a drive to get rid of the rest of the body, he was pulled over by police in Ohio to perform a sobriety test as he was driving erratically. And he was, at this age, he was yeah. under the influence, of course, because yeah, yeah.
4: he always was at this stage.
3: So he'd had a few a few drinks, he'd put a couple of bin, uh, triple-lined bin bags with uh, Stephen's body parts in the back of his car, Police notice he's driving erratically. They pull him over. This is his first murder, obviously, and how he managed to kind of very quickly sober himself up, but also kind of uh, sway the police from interrogating him further or yeah, checking c- the vehicle further. It's
4: because I, th- I think as well, obviously, he's been he's been drunk during school. He mustn't have the you
3: know, area to kind of kind
4: of switch on and off slightly. Yeah. But yeah, he, he manages to ace the test when they did these these um, sobriety tests. Then one of the police say, "Oh, what's that smell?" Then they put the torch in the back seat and they see the, the big rubbish bags full of you know, well, body parts, body parts, and they say what's that and then he comes out of a, a lie straight away yeah. that his mum had told him to take, take the um, rubbish out and essentially he's gone my parents were fighting i we wanted to drive to get away from it and i thought this i'll double up and i'll get rid of this this rubbish whilst doing that and they're like okay fine which the relief you must have
3: yeah to be able to think <clears throat> to be able to remain that calm and also a story jeffrey that's... calmer Good. he wasn't alarmed he wasn't alarmed he was a boy wasn't he oh he's got me <laughs> he's done, yeah. yeah he's got me remain completely calm. He's got a, a story that kind of lines up with his actual family situation slightly. Yeah, they don't check the bags. They let him go. So
4: would would later go on to say about his first kill, I always knew that it was wrong. The first killing was not planned. I was coming back from the shopping mall back in 78. I had fantasies about picking up a hitchhiker, taking him back to the house, and having complete dominance and control over him. I think he was open-minded to have a sexual experience of a like-minded individual. But as soon as Stephen revealed that he was straight, yeah. that's when he suddenly turned. He's like, oh, I'm going to be rejected. I need to keep him here under all pretenses.
3: Yeah, and I mean, he, at this point as well, he's only been home alone for a few weeks. Mm. I say he's on his own as well, but he's he, you know he's had very little time with family yeah. around him anyway. So in his own mind, being, being stuck in Jeffrey Dahmer's mind
4: for that period of time whilst drinking, whilst, you know, just thinking that no one wants you. And uh, feeling deep shame about being gay. He's just spiraled into this, it's kind of a surreal, kind of surreal world. So on Christmas Eve, 1978, Dharma's father, Lionel, remarried. He and his new wife, Sherry, moved back into the Dharma family home, and Lionel forces Dharma to enroll in Ohio State University after his high school graduation. After only one semester, Dharma drops out. So a drop a Sherry at Christmas. Mmm. So during this period, Dharma was drinking even heavier than usual. And schoolmates reportedly see him passed out on the side of the road. And Lionel and Sherry found out about his drinking and took him home. And they tried to get him psychiatric help for his drinking problem.
3: But Dharma and Sherry, um, obviously a fatal mix. Yeah. And Lionel said that, that oh, that Sherry's a bit richy. Lionel. 29th of December 1978. After some encouragement from his father, Dharma joins the army. He is trained as a medic and assigned to Baumholder, Germany. This was during a time just after the Vietnam War when morale and discipline in the armed forces were apparently poor and drug and alcohol abuse was widespread. So Dahmer couldn't believe his luck. However, Dahmer still stood out for being not only a very heavy drinker but as an unpleasant and even violent at times drunk. He would remain in the army for over two years. It's quite interesting because the case vote that we've just done obviously came down to Dharma and Nilsson, and there are so many similarities between these two cases. It's glasses. Yes. Men. Yeah, the men, yeah. um, Army drinking. Army drinking, fighting, getting them back to the house, popping a few pills in the drinks, bad smells, sewage. Oh, there's so many, Tom.
4: I could go on. So during Dharma's time in the army, his roommate Billy Joe Capshaw claimed to have been sexually assaulted by Dharma. He claims Dharma tied him naked to a bunk and continuously tortured and sexually assaulted him almost every day felt so much shame and never told anyone he claimed as a 17 year old he, c- he felt he couldn't speak up about this another roommate Preston Davis claimed to have been drugged and sexually assaulted by Dharma as well his career unravelled and claimed to have led to an estrangement from his wife and son and led to alcohol and substance abuse to suppress the pain however as Dharma was so open about his other crimes he would never disclose his information so it kind of gives you question marks as to why
3: he wouldn't admit to this
4: when he was so openly admit to things later on
3: 26th of march 1981 dharma is honorably discharged from the army under a section of the military justice code that covered drug and alcohol use his drinking had gotten so bad that he wasn't able to function anymore and when back in the u.s he decided to stay in florida so basically the military gave him a free flight back home anywhere you want to go And he picked Miami. He landed in Miami, decided to sleep on the beach for a few months before returning home to Ohio. During his time in Miami, he actually did land a a job in a sandwich shop. However, the sandwich shop eventually released him uh, due to Dharma being too drunk on the job too often. BLT, um, beers, liquor and tonic. Um, (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Jesus Christ.
4: Club sandwich, more like clubbing. They're making sandwiches. Clubbing.
3: Clubbing? BLT, more like DLT. Dharma likes... To drink. (laughs) So he stayed in Miami for a few months, however, decided to move back to Ohio, returning to the family home. During this time, his dad claimed he tried to get him help for his alcoholism. However, Dharma found ways to escape appointments, such as leaving through the back door. Classic.
4: It's a classic way to get out. That's why the door's there. The 7th of October, 1981, Dharma was arrested for disorderly conduct and resisting arrest whilst he was drunk. He's was made to
3: pay a small fine. So yeah, the help there hasn't really led to any prevention of him drinking. No, and when he left the, through the back door, what was it, over the other side of the street? A bloody bar. So August
4: 1982, Dharma's father had come to the point where he was like, I can't help my son. And he sent him off to live at his grandma's house, which seems like you're passing the, the buck there. Yeah. I like, oh, mean, and Sherry... We've done our bit. got live with grandma. But Jeffrey did actually have a affection for his grandma. He didn't have affection for a lot of people. He was quite happy to go over there. She was under the belief that religion would cure Dharma of all his ailments, including his sexuality. And he did actually go on to attend church with her and even got a job at drawing blood at a blood bank.
3: Some of these jobs. Damn. Medic. Mm, sandwich maker. Blood bank. These are just some of the jobs. Medic and a blood drawer and a mm. blood bank. For someone that would go on to a do red
4: However, Dahmer was unable to control himself. He was soon arrested again for disorderly conduct
3: when he got drunk and dropped his trousers in public.
4: Do you think it's just a belt issue? or?
3: If you're drunk, belts can... stuff can happen. 8th of September 1986, Dharma attended the Milwaukee State Fair, where he deliberately exposed himself while urinating in front of a group of children. Other sources claim that he was masturbating. He was apologetic in court, and so he was let off with a $50 fine. I don't like the phrase, other sources claim he was masturbating. Not at all. That's not
4: piss. Um, Yeah, a 50 quid fine for that as well is... is... Considering he's
3: already been in trouble for... He's got priors, Tom. Yeah. He has got priors. Dharma attempted to find a substitute for killing in order to try and control his urges. His goal was to lie next to a partner that wouldn't leave him. One of the videos I watched was that he had a fantasy of just cuddling and the cuddles never ending, mm. which is quite sweet. But then when you look at what he was, on. It's sweet
4: when you think about it. It's, it's, not, it's a case of literally like never ending. That's terrifying. Yeah, but just never. So when you, say to someone, when you say to someone, you're so cute, I want to eat your face, which Dan says, don't you know, quite a lot. To my dog. And then if you think about it literally, that's terrifying.
3: Yes, yeah. I, I'm not thinking about it literally right now. I'm thinking about it more as like a okay, sweet but... thing to say to someone you've got a, a fondness for. But obviously, in this context, it's disgusting. Yeah. It, his plan that he kind of come up with in terms of having a partner that could not leave him or would not leave him, he tried scanning local obituaries to see if he found any recently deceased people that were attractive. Mm. So judging them all by their... Is it usually a photo? It's usually a photo from their younger days. It depends, I think. It depends. If, they, if, they, if
4: they died young, that's true. It's not going to be them when they're... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but...
3: I don't think it's, oh, is If it? it's like, you know, someone that lived to about sort of 85,
4: mm. it's usually a picture of them when they're about 40. I haven't seen enough local obituaries. Nor have I, I. I've like, not
3: really been looking. Um, <laughs> you bloody well have. How hard was it digging up graves? Go on sir. <laughs> so this is bizarre as well. I didn't know this about Dharma, you know, potentially going down the, the Ed Gein route or the Ed Gain, as we say, yeah, me and you. People slag us off for it. They right? hate it when we say Ed Gain, um, yeah. but as Ed Gain did. When Jeffrey went to attempt to dig up their corpses, however, he found that on the two occasions he tried, the ground was too hard and he couldn't get to the corpse.
4: Yeah, this, this next bit I'm going to go into, but I've got a theory I want to discuss about it so basically obviously Jeffrey's trying to he's living with his grand. he's hes trying to find God and trying to cure himself of being gay and also these, these urges and then he's, yeah, he's thought okay one way I can get around from killing people is by getting bodies of someone that's already dead so therefore I'm, I'm only doing well he probably thinks I'm not doing anything wrong in that respect and then he thinks okay well if I can't have that he was in a shopping center one day he looked across and he saw a mannequin and he thought that looks like pleasant attractive he thought okay the best thing I can do is steal a mannequin maybe that will quench my, my urges so one evening he hid in the shop he hid in the toilets when the, the shop was closed he went in and he stole the mannequin and he hid it in a sleeping bag and he basically took it home from there so Dharma would have it home for a, a short period of time he, he would sleep next to it and it was seeming to work at that period but once his grandmother discovered it she was questioning him about it he claimed he was drunk he took it home it's like people would take a, a traffic going home yeah license
3: he, plates some people do they yeah it's awful isn't it?
4: it sounds like you've done that no i haven't so my question there was if that was something that that kind of quenched his hunger there, we he needed, and a lot of uh, people who go on to do necrophilia it said that the main thing is they want domination, they want control, and they don't want to be rejected. The whole sex doll market now, do you think that has prevented a lot of necrophilia from happening? Oh, wow. Because that's a big market, isn't it? And it seems, I'm not <clears throat> tarnishing everyone that has a sex doll uh, you know, Thank you. with the same brush, but I wonder if people who've had that hunger don't want to be rejected, they stopped, it's prevented them from going on to do these evil things.
3: That's a very interesting question. I think as well on this, Dharma is aware of the difference, well, seemingly aware of the difference between right and wrong. So mm. he's trying to curb that behaviour, manage that behaviour. I don't know enough about this. In, I think yes.
4: be interested to know what you guys think at home as well. So let us know in the comments below what you think to that point. Because I'm not trying to, you know, shame people for having sex dolls, but I wonder if that's something that has prevented them from going on to do, you know, some people going on to do those, those kind of things
3: yeah definitely i mean if the compulsion or the attraction is control mm.
0: i don't know actually i think it obviously serves a purpose for a little bit uh, and fills a void but i think the next step for that sort of person is to take it one up
4: oh, so you think it'd be more like a, pra- a practice item but then if you'll think if your thing is you you're wanting to be because nick philly obviously you're not, not going to get any emotional response back because it's a dead body mm. so it's like with a with a doll, obviously you're not going to be getting a response back, and you're if, if you're found with it, you're not going to be arrested.
3: I think yes, I think it has would have prevented, if that's what people want and that's their thing mm. and that's the ultimate control. And I just someone that doesn't talk doesn't you know essentially it's horrible.
4: Yeah. Can't say no, isn't going to reject you, isn't going to shame yeah, you, isn't going to leave, leave
3: you. you. Yeah, so. I we
4: I'm humming and hurrying about it. Yeah, it's just a point I want to put that because I, I was reading about it earlier and I just kind of thought, I wonder if that. That has happened. Uh, let us know what you think in the comments below. So, Dharma became a frequent visitor to the gay bars and bath houses. He got into this very dark habit of drugging people, taking them home, laying next to them, sexually assaulting them, and he got quite a reputation for that. So at this time, even though Ohio had quite a prominent gay scene at the time, and there's, there's uh, over you know, hundreds, of, hundreds gay, yeah. of gay bars at the time, the community didn't feel, feel very comfortable talking to the police. They didn't feel that they were there, they would be respected, and they thought they would be discriminated against. So they weren't reporting these things to the police. Therefore, Dahmer was able to kind of carry on this behavior for quite some time Till eventually Dharma put too many yeah, drugs into someone's drink, and they ended up being hospitalized for quite some time. So then he was barred from that point onwards.
3: Barred from the bathhouse.
4: But it's quite interesting to point out that it had been nine years since stephen hicks he had was able to control his urges of of killing during this time so did prayer and church work for him for a certain period of time did the mannequin help or was he getting all he needed from drugging people just laying next to him during that time but yeah he was able to kind of embrace his sexuality slightly then he still kind of felt ashamed of it but because it was more widely accepted during that point in Ohio I think you know he, he didn't feel as alienated as he did before
3: yeah and, and also he nine years is a massive amount of time he, but he was also he, well he claimed he was practicing during these nine years as well so technically mm. he's got a way with murder first of all but he would use this time going to various bathhouses various gay bars planning on first of all refining his process of how to approach them mm. how many drugs to use how to slip the drugs without being caught, mm. but then also how much to use to be able to sedate them to just yeah. the level that he would want. He wouldn't want them to kill them, but he would not want them to be able to remember yeah. anything leading to those events. 15th of September, 1987, Stephen Toomey was a 24-year-old who met Dharma after finishing his shift at a local restaurant. He persuaded Stephen to accompany him to the Ambassador Hotel, where Dharma had rented a room for the night. Dharma claimed that he had only intended to drug and molest Stephen, However, the next morning, Dharma awoke to Stephen lying beneath him, his chest caved in, and his body black and blue. There was also blood dripping from his mouth. Dharma also noticed that his own arm was bruised, but claims to have no memory of what happened that night. So he'd basically had beaten this guy to death with his, with his bare hands, which is... Yeah, it's been
4: speculated on whether or not he had drunk some of the drink himself, therefore he couldn't remember, or because he remembered the first experience of, Stephen, of killing Stephen Hicks, traumatic so he was able to suppress the memory kind of immediately. So it's kind of been speculated between what that
3: how he was unable to remember it. So Darma would go on to promptly extend his stay at the Ambassador Hotel for an extra night. He then purchased a large suitcase and stuffed Stephen's body into it, transporting the body back to his grandmother's house. So there's a taxi driver where he helps him with the bag and the taxi driver says, Wasn't there a body? And he's like, Yeah. That
4: happened in the case Of the Issei Sagawa. Issei Sagawa, the cannibal who is still free now. Basically the same thing happened. But in in French? Yeah, taxi driver. Oh, body. Is that just a common bit of banter? Is there a body in here? Both times there was. So if they do say yes, taxi drivers, have a little look in the bag. What's in the bag?
3: So he he does manage to get the large suitcase back to his grandmother's house and he immediately places it down in the basement. So obviously his grandmother's been living in this house the whole time her body's down in the basement in the suitcase but a week later Dharma makes up some sort of excuse to not go to church with his grandma. And I don't know how long she goes to church for but she goes to church and during this time that she's away he then severs the head removes the arms and legs from the body, filleted the bones and cut the flesh into smaller pieces, placing the pieces of flesh inside triple wrapped bin bags. He then wrapped the bones in sheets and used a sledgehammer to smash them into splinters. This took Dharma around two hours to complete. So he's completely dissected this body in two hours. He then placed the bin bags outside the house to be collected. He's got rid of the body, but for some reason he decides not to get rid of the head and he wraps it in a blanket and keeps it for a further two weeks. After this two-week period, he then boils the head in industrial bleach in an effort to keep the skull as a souvenir, which he then uses as a stimulus for masturbation. Eventually, the skull was rendered too brittle by the bleaching process, so Dharma disposed of it.
4: On January 1988, Dharma met 14 year old James Doxeter. He offered James $50 to come back to his house and pose nude for photos.
3: So, Dharma is still
4: at his grandma's house at this stage and he's getting a 14 year old boy to come back to pose for nude photos. Dharma has sex with a the 14 year old, then drugs him and strangles him. Dharma now has its process where he uses acid and he crushes the body in order to destroy it.
3: On the 24th of March 1988, Dharma used the same ruse to get 25-year-old Richard Guerrero back to his grandmother's house. Again, Dharma drugged and strangled Richard, using dismembering and acid to dispose of the body. By this time, Dharma's grandmother began to question the smells coming from her basement, where Dharma was disposing of the bodies.
4: September 1988, Dharma was working as a mixer at Ambrosia Chocolate Factory, which sounds like a lovely job. And could afford a small apartment, so he got a one-bedroom apartment on the North Twenty-Fourth Street in Milwaukee.
3: So, on this particular area, it was a very dangerous part of Milwaukee. There was a lot of crime, but also he was one of the very few young white males to live in the area. So, a lot of people believe that Dharma's intentionally picked this area, and a lot of people have also said that was actually the only area he could afford on the salary of someone working a low-level role at a chocolate factory. Well, the Umpa-Lumpas live in the factory, so. Well, yeah. Yeah. Rent free. Rent free, the bastards. They worked for it. Then. Slaves of a
4: On the 25th of September, the day that after Dharma moved into his own place, he offered $50 to a 13-year-old boy to pose nude. Dharma would go on to give him drugged coffee and fondled him. Dharma actually let him go when he wanted to leave, even reminded him to take his money, but warning him not to tell anyone. The boy went to authorities and Dharma was arrested for assault against the minor. So March 1989, he was convicted on second degree assault and enticing a child for immoral purposes. For this he was given a sentence of five years' probation, one year at work release camp, and was required to register as a sex offender.
3: On the 25th of March 1989, whilst the trial for the assault was ongoing, Dharma met 24 year old Anthony Sears at a club. Dharma had not been planning on committing a crime that night, however, Anthony approached Dharma towards the end of the night and began talking to him. Dharma, when looking back on this particular victim, he would say that I didn't choose him, he chose me. So he's almost pinning it on Anthony here. Dharma lured Sears back to his grandmother's home. Where the pair engaged in oral sex before Dharma drugged and strangled Sears. In the morning, Dharma placed the body in his grandmother's bathtub, decapitated it, and tried to flay the corpse. He removed the flesh and smashed up the bones. Anthony was the first victim that Dharma permanently kept the body parts of. He preserved Anthony's head and genitals in acetone and stored them in his work locker. When he moved to a new address the following year, he took the preserved body parts with him.
4: So May 1990, Dahmer was released two months early from his work program and subsequently moved into a Milwaukee apartment. Dahmer showed up at his probation office every month but he never had any home visits. The, uh, the neighborhood in which Dharma moved into was predominantly ethnic minorities. And when neighbors asked him why he moved there, so he replied that he would like to be left alone. The 20th of May 1990, Dharma met Raymond Smith, aka Ricky Beaks, a 32 year old male at a club, and offered him $50 to post new for pictures. Dharma claimed Raymond was a sex worker. He drugged Raymond's drink with seven sleeping pills and strangled him and had sex with the corpse. Dharma then purchased a Polaroid camera and took pictures of the corpse in sexual positions. So beforehand, he was just saying he was going to take photos, but then he's actually gone, I will start taking photos as moments mentos of these bodies as well yeah he then put the body into the bathtub dismembered the limbs and genitals making it easier to remove the flesh from the bones in his sink the disposal method that dharma was continuously refining he then dissolved the skeleton in a tub of acid keeping the skull which he spray painted and kept in a metal filing cabinet on a black towel next to the mummified skull of anthony sears so he started essentially painting these skulls a bit so if everyone did find them he could say they were, mod- they were models they weren't legit yeah skulls
3: and one week later dharma lured another potential victim back to his flat but he accidentally mixed up the drinks and ended up drugging himself when he woke up he discovered his potential victim had stolen 300 dollars, various items of clothes and a watch dharma later reported to his parole officer that he had been robbed dharma did a dharma on dharma unbelievable and the crazy thing about all of this is he's he's refining his process as he goes he's specifically targeting either well he's specifically targeting ethnic minorities and homosexuals believing that both will be kind of prejudiced by police and not taken as seriously or not missed mm. as much as perhaps someone else would be and he's refining his process here taking more and more victims i mean these all of his souvenirs most of them were still on site and on display in his mm-hmm. in his apartment it's, it's you read this and you think there's no way in hell this is real sometimes he'll he'll claim a couple of victims within a few months but other times he will wait you know multiple years before he claims his next victim so police are not quite aware at this point that there's a serial killer on the loose so june
4: 1990 dharma met 27 year old edward smith in a bar again he offered his potential victim 50 dollars to pose nude for pictures once they came back to his apartment dharma had sex with edward drugged him and strangled him dharma took more polaroid pictures of the dismembering process this time and dissolved the body in acid
3: So the 2nd of September, 1990, 24-year-old Ernest Miller met Dharma outside of a bookstore where Dharma offered him money to come home with him. After the pair had had sex, Dharma drugged him and cut his throat. He then took Polaroid pictures of the body as he dismembered it, putting the heart and biceps in the freezer. The rest of his body was stuffed in a filing cabinet. He then bleached the skeleton and painted the skull. This was the first time that Dharma had experimented with cannibalism, cooking and eating bits of the heart and biceps ingesting them, making the person a part of him so that they never leave him. This became part of his compulsion, eating the body parts whilst looking at the photographs of the person alive.
4: Yeah, so he kind of felt frustrated with the skull earlier on when he tried to preserve it and it it shattered. He essentially was like, that was a waste of a life because I haven't got anything to kind of show from it. He started collecting skulls from, from that point onward and the Polaroids did act as a kind of, you know, memento. this was the one where he's like I'm not wasting the body now I'm actually eating it and then they're going to be with me forever. Yeah it's it's very brutal On the 24th of September 1990 Dharma met David Thomas on a street outside a mall and offered him money for sex. Again Dharma drugged his victim and murdered him taking pictures as he dismembered the body So the police had no idea a serial killer was at large at this time. The victims were gay often ethnic minorities and sex workers so no links were made between them and like Ben kind of said earlier on it's, it's groups that the police fairly often were prejudiced against wouldn't look into the cases as much, wouldn't you know could think they could just be going around to different states and you know people aren't keeping an eye on them essentially so um they weren't looking into this half as much as they should have been
3: so on the 7th of march 1991 curtis strorter met dharma at a bus stop accepting dharma's offer to come home with him and have sex apparently in exchange for money he then drugged curtis had sex with him and then strangled him dismembering and dissolving the body keeping the skull as a souvenir whilst this was happening dharma toyed with the idea of creating an altar for his skulls and even going as far as to create a sketch which was later found in his apartment so we'll, we'll pop that up for you now there's actually an interview isn't there where he's talking about that
4: and saying what he doesn't actually say it he's like i'll just sit there and be able to just surround about the skulls and be able to just kind of that will quench my thirst in a way But yeah, it's such a dark thing. And I think he also purchased a griffin, a statue of a griffin, which is is a demonic kind of symbol. He did think it was all what he was doing was evil. He knew it was evil, but he was very much leaning into that as well. So the 7th of April, 1991, Dharma continued his process, meeting Errol Lindsay on the street and offered him money to come home with him. Errol's friends report that he was heterosexual, so have different opinions on why he went home with Dharma that day. As para's MO, Dharma drugged Errol. Only this time he used a drill to make a hole in Errol's skull and poured hydrochloric acid into it. This was to fulfil the fantasy that Dharma was having at the time of creating a kind of zombie sex slave, essentially someone who he could actually keep alive and who was submissive, ensuring they both wouldn't fight and he wouldn't leave. The thing, like his dad's obviously a very intelligent man, and Dharma, well, in theory, was his IQ and, and everything like that. Obviously, years of alcohol abuse and whatnot could affect that. He's just out of nowhere going, "Oh yeah, I'll put that into someone's brain, and then they'll be a zombie."
3: I think it's at this point that he's just getting away with murder again and again and again, and he, each time now it's escalated to cannibal. Mm. Uh, necrophilia. Mm. I guess where do you go from there? Well exactly, yeah. Hell. In order to escalate it. Yeah. I feel like this is just experiments for him at this mm. point, which is a horrible thought. I mean, putting a drill through someone's skull whilst they're still alive, yeah. To then pour acid there, and he's gonna do something even worse in a minute. Yes, yeah,
4: so Dharma will on to say, I try to keep the person alive by inducing a zombie like state, by injecting a dilute acid solution into their brain or hot water, it never did completely work. A forensic psychologist asked him, How far do you think you penetrated with the drill bit? Dharma, all the way into the brain. So however, this didn't work and Errol apparently awoke, saying, I have a headache, what time is it? And then Dharma strangled Errol to death, decapitating him and keeping the skull. He then flayed Errol's body, placing the skin into a solution of cold water and salt for several weeks, in the hope of permanently retaining it. Eventually, Dharma disposed of Errol's skin when he noticed it had become too frayed and bristle.
3: 24th of May 1991, Tony Hughes was a deaf and mute man who Dharma met in a Milwaukee bar. He had known Dharma for a while, and when Dharma passed him a note that said to come back to his flat with him in exchange for $50, Tony apparently wrote back, Sure. While they were there, Tony was passed a drink laced with sleeping pills. When he was unconscious, Dharma took a drill and made a small hole in his skull and injected hydrochloric acid into it, just as he had done with Errol Lindsay. The difference is that Tony never woke up. He was also decapitated and disposed of in the same way as the previous victims. Dharma did keep the skull. Some years later, Tony's anguished mother said that Dharma had lied in his testimony. She said, Tony had $400 in his pocket that night. He didn't need his $50. She accused Dharma of trying to make out that her son was some form of sex worker, which she claims he most definitely was not. 27th of May 1991, Dharma met 14 year old Konarak Symphosomphone in front of a shopping mall and offered him money in order to pose for nude pictures, as per his MO. Dharma took him back to his flat and drilled a hole into his head and poured in the hydrochloric acid solution. The injection point was concealed in the hairline, so it was hard to notice. He then took pictures of Konarak and then, pleased that he had successfully sedated him, Dharma went out to buy beers. And whilst doing this, Konorak, bewildered and drowsy, wandered out of Dharma's apartment and into the streets. He was naked, apart from a bedsheet wrapped around him, which you can only imagine the, the scene there. Two of Dharma's female neighbors called the police to report a naked boy out in the streets. There's audio of this call mm. as well, so we can we can play that for you now.
5: Long emergency operator 71.
2: Okay, hi. Um, this um, I'm on 25th and State. And this is young man, he is butt naked, he has been beaten up, he is very bruised up, he can't stand, he's study for out, he, he is butt naked, he has no clothes on, he was really hurt.
3: The police found Konarak and escorted him back to Dharma's apartment. Dharma saw them when he was coming back from his beer run, calmly approaching the officers explaining that Konarak was his lover and was in fact 19 years old rather than 14 years old, basically suggesting that they'd had an argument, they'd had a bit of a heated fight. He then thanked the officers and even allowed them to look in his apartment to confirm that nothing untoward was going on. So apparently
4: when the police were in there, think his clothes were neatly folded on the chair. So they thought it added up. They're like, oh, well, his clothes are there. It doesn't show any kind of struggle. You must doing be. Doing some DIY. This is one of the big things that stands out. Is just the police were just so easy to be like, oh, yeah, not believe in other witnesses or seeing, you know, he's seen a young boy walking in the streets, obviously drugged up and covered in blood.
3: and be like, oh, no. Yeah, that's fine, we'll return him to this guy. Well, the thing is as well, the the two female neighbours that called the police, as well as Konarak, were all ethnic minorities. Mm. So the police then see Dharma calmly walking back, beers in his hand, you know, super polite, super Mm. friendly, calm, and they sided with him. Of course he's telling the truth. Konarak, who was still too drugged to be able to deny the story, was simply led back into Dharma's captivity, which is absolutely horrific. The body of Tony Hughes was still in Dharma's bedroom when the police were in his home. Had they bothered to look into that particular room, they would have found it and caught Dharma red handed. As soon as the police left, Dharma then strangled Konarak, took pictures, and dismembered him, again keeping the skull. When the full details of this incident became known, disciplinary action was taken against the officers involved. The department was also sued for a large amount of money.
4: They were were fired and they were reinstated later on and one of
3: them is now a chief. As a sad twist of fate, Konrak was actually the younger brother of the boy that Dharma was arrested for molesting three years earlier. There was also a recorded police report in which they could evidence the police officers radioing back to dispatch the intoxicated Asian naked male. Laughter was returned to his sober Boyfriend, more laughter. Absolutely harrowing, just knowing. Imagine me and him thinking I've
4: escaped. Yeah. Think of like all the other people in like films and they escape and they left this horrible scene and then the police, oh, I'm so excited. You know, you've seen someone who's going to save you and then they return you back. It's just such a horrible, horrible thing to imagine. On the 30th of June, 1991, Dahmer met 20-year-old Matt Turner at a Chicago bus station after a gay pride parade. He again lured him back to his apartment where he drugged and strangled Matt. Dahmer would go on to decapitate Matt's head and put it in the freezer and dissolve the rest of the body in a barrel of acid. Where's he getting all this acid from? Lionel. Yeah. Dad, do you want some more money? not more acid. <laughs>
3: it's baffling. You can can't you? You can get like low grade acid, can't you? From like DIY, superstores for I like know. stripping paint and stuff. I wouldn't know. No, nor would I. I've just I remember Ricardo Lopez. We did the Ricardo Lopez. I see? We did the uh, the Bjork stalker Ricardo Lopez episode on Patreon a while back, and he had to send off a a certain or a certain strength of um, acids. But you could get like a lower grade one from a a DIY shop, according to Ricardo Lopez. Yeah. So on the sixth of July, nineteen ninety-one, Dharma stays in Chicago for another week. He then meets Jeremiah Weinberger at a gay bar where Dharma offered him money to come back to Milwaukee. This murder is particularly unusual in that the victim was not murdered until the day after he came home with Dharma. It was only when he indicated that he wanted to leave that Dharma then decided to drug him, strangle him and dismember him, taking pictures in the process. And like the last victim, his head went into the freezer and his body went into the barrel of acid.
4: 15th of July 1991, Dharma was fired from the Ambrosia Chocolate Company for bad attendance. That same day, he met Oliver Lacey. They both went back to Dharma's apartment for what Dharma refers to as body rubs, and Oliver was then drugged and strangled. Dharma had sex with the body before dismembering it. He put the head in the refrigerator and the heart in the freezer to eat later. Around this time, neighbors reporting a bad smell, which you wouldn't be surprised with that fridge, and landlords track it to Dharma's house, and Dharma claims his fish died, resulting in a bad smell.
3: That's unbelievable. Must be a big fucking fish.
4: Yeah. I I called him Moby. (laughs) Apparently, when he was working at the Ambrosia company, he did actually bring a head in a bag to work a few times. It was speculated whether that was just a blatant, like, you know, just trying to be one up and then just be smug that he's done that. But people believe as well it could be just, it's literally the fact that he doesn't want to be alone and he doesn't want to be away from his mementos.
3: Oh, God. On the 16th of July 1991, without a job taking up his killing time, Dharma wasted no time moving on to his next victim. And barely a day later, Joseph Braidhoft and Dharma met at a bus stop where Dharma offered him money in order to pose for nude pictures. After sex, Dharma drugged him and strangled him with a strap. He then dismembered the body and, as before, Put the head in a freezer and the body into the acid barrel.
4: The 22nd of July 1991, shortly after midnight, 32 year old Tracy Edwards was found by police with one hand in a handcuff running from Dharma's apartment. Tracy flagged down a police car and took them back to Dharma's apartment, which I find quite interesting because if that was happening, you being taken back to that place is quite harrowing. Tracy claimed that after going to Dharma's apartment to have sex, Dharma told Tracy to lie face down on the bed. And handcuff one hand. Tracy did not allow Dharma to handcuff the other one, sensing something wasn't quite right. This bit's particularly horrifying. He then heard Dharma say, with his head on his Tracy's chest, I'm gonna eat your heart. Tracy told Dharma he was gonna go to the bathroom and fled through the front door. By the time Tracy had brought the police back to Dharma's apartment, Dharma was drunk. The police approached him and saw an open drawer full of Polaroids of Dharma's victims, including dismembered heads and genitals. They searched Dharma's residence and found the dismembered heads in the freezer, along with a pungent smell of decay throughout. They arrested Dharma on the spot, calling in a further backup for the crime scene. Shortly, the sight of crews in biohazard production suits taking evidence out of Dharma's apartment was televised all over the world. The suits were necessary because of the smell of decay in the apartment and because of the acid in the barrel. They found a total of four severed heads in his refrigerator several skulls severed hands and two preserved penises a total of 11 different people's remains were found in his apartment including two complete skeletons
3: and one big stinky fish (laughs) dharma confessed to 17 murders his dry unemotional descriptions of murdering over a dozen and a half young men belied the reality of brutality and sadism that was revealed in Tracy Edwards' testimony. It's possible that the similarity in the descriptions and his MO in terms of offering money to pose for photos, drugs to knock them out, was not entirely accurate. Tracy Edwards claimed he was not offered money and that he only went back to Dharma's apartment for some beers before going out again. He may have been covering up his own indiscretion, or Dharma may have lied about the ways he lured people back to his apartment in order to make them seem less like innocent victims. Dharma also claimed in his confession that he needed to drink heavily in order to be able to face killing people. But we know that he was a hardcore alcoholic for much of his life and had built up quite a tolerance. On the 14th of January 1992, Dharma entered a plea of guilty but insane in 15 of the 17 murders he claimed to have committed. On the 15th of February 1992, by a 10 to 2 majority vote, a jury found Dharma to be sane in each murder testimony from the defense and prosecution experts took weeks and was extremely gruesome with one expert testifying that dharma periodically removed body parts from his victims from the freezer and then ate them another testified that this was a lie that dharma told to make himself seem insane the jury deliberated for slightly more than 10 hours
4: so on 17th of february 1992 Dharma was sentenced to 15 consecutive life terms. At the sentencing, Dharma read a prepared statement in which expressed sorrow for the pain he had caused.
5: Your Honour, it is over now. This has never been a case of trying to get free. I didn't ever want freedom. Frankly, I wanted death for myself. This was a case to tell the world that I did what I did not for reasons of hate. I hated no one. I knew I was sick or evil or both. Now I believe I was sick. The doctors have told me about my sickness, and now I have some peace. I know how much harm I have caused. I tried to do the best I could after the arrest to make amends, but no matter what I did, I could not undo the terrible harm I have caused. My attempt to help identify the remains was the best that I could do, and that was hardly anything. I feel so bad for what I did to those poor families, and I understand their rightful hate. I know I will be in prison for the rest of my life. I know that I will have to turn to God to help me get through each day. I should have stayed with God. I tried and failed and created a Holocaust. Thank God there will be no more harm that I can do. I believe that only the Lord Jesus Christ can save me from my sins. So
4: usually at this point, we'll jump over to our resident doctor, Dr. Das, for his clinical input. But because this was the audience vote and a bit of a quicker turnaround, we were unable to get Dr. Das in this episode. So we do apologise, but he'll be back again next week. So some interesting quotes from Dharma after he's been arrested during some interviews, because it's quite interesting. There's the big interview he had with the actual news station, which is very peculiar. Like you can't imagine that happening now, like nowadays. And even with other cases, I know like Ted Bundy had a lot of airtime, but there's not a lot of people that sit down in front of a newscast and actually do a proper interview. Yeah. So it's fascinating to hear him talk about things.
3: I've never seen one as well with the father sat next to him. Mm. so it is very very fascinating to watch
4: yeah so during an interview uh, they asked him um, do you ever think about your victims and he said i often wonder why i haven't had more dreams or nightmares about what i've done when they asked him why did you photograph them he said it was my way of remembering their appearance their physical beauty they asked could someone like you be stopped could you be helped his response was no i was dead set on going with this compulsion it was the only thing that gave me any satisfaction so obviously Dharma's implying then that his, he could never sate the hunger for killing people and what he was doing, but I'd argue that those years he, he stopped doing it with the mannequin and whatnot.
3: He was looking at ways to curb that behaviour, wasn't he? Yeah,
4: and even church and like and not wanting to fail in that respect. I do wonder, now, honestly, if give Dharma a sex doll, now would that have stopped that happening? No, it's a weird sentence, but putting out there that, that if that he was around now,
3: he, he was trying to have sex with the mannequin, wasn't he? But it wasn't feeling. He wasn't feeling fulfilled by that. After his final arrest, authorities in Germany looked to see if they could connect Dharma to murders that took place over there. And this was kind of during the time that he would have been stationed in there for his service in the military. And though information is sketchy, it seems likely that a serial killer was active in the same area at the same time. But that it was not dharma and the main reasons for the them believing it was not dharma is that the majority of the victims in germany at that time were young women and dharma only killed men and i think he'd openly
4: admit to it because he went on to reveal where stephen hicks's body was which he didn't need to do because he got away with that murder like he he, he basically went on to say yeah i've done this i've done that he's quite ed kemper with how he just spoke about it and just openly admitted to the yeah, killing. Yeah, yeah. he knew it was caught and he was like okay i've been caught and I'm going to reveal everything. I don't think he was playing a game or anything like that.
3: Just to go back to Lionel as well, in that very famous kind of uh, prison house interview that they did with Jeffrey, and, and Lionel sat by his side. So his father, Lionel, admitted that as a youngster, Lionel also had kind of homicidal thoughts and homicidal urges, which is a really, a really strange. A series of events and, and a, a really strange interview itself. There's famous footage of them. Uh, it's actually Lionel and his and, and Jeffrey's grandma visiting Jeffrey in his new apartment, wherein he'd already been hiding various body parts. And there's very famous footage of them kind of interviewing Jeffrey as he sat there. Their voices sound identical. It's as if one person is trying to do two different voices and they, he can't quite manage it. The, the dad and the son sound identical.
5: Well, you're looking good. Grandma was saying that, that she thought that you got quite a bit thinner, but you look fit. I don't know. Well, I've been surviving mostly on McDonald's food. It's just so much easier just to pop into a restaurant. But
3: yeah,
5: like I've said before, it gets too expensive and, and it does. I have to start eating at home more.
3: Yeah, really, really strange. And and Lionel very much blames himself for not spotting red flags. He said that if he was aware of Jeffrey collecting all that roadkill, that would have been a red flag to him. But that also, as as a youngster himself, Lionel also had homicidal thoughts and homicidal urges, which is
4: it is an interesting thing to admit. Yeah, unless
3: he's just trying to take some of the blame off yeah. of Jeffrey. I don't know, but he's, yeah, he stayed by his side.
4: So not surprisingly, whilst incarcerated, Dharma read the Bible and declared himself a born-again Christian,
3: ready for his final judgment. And at born-again, you just have to be baptised, right? And then you're you've essentially given a, a clean clean slate. A clean slate. In July of 1994, Dharma was attacked in prison. A convicted drug dealer tried to cut his throat with a makeshift razor blade attached to a toothbrush handle, making a crude straight razor, but the weapon fell apart during the attack. Dharma received minimal injuries.
4: So on the 28th of November 1994, Dharma was murdered in prison. So Dharma and two other inmates were assigned to clean the staff bathroom of the Columbia Correctional Institute in Wisconsin and guards left them alone to do their work for about 20 minutes, starting at around 7.50am. When Dharma was discovered, he was unconscious and his head and face were bloody. However, he still was alive. He died in the Wade Hospital from multiple skull fractures and brain trauma. A bloody broom handle was found near Dharma. A uh, broom is probably not sturdy enough to inflict the damage that killed him. Uh, reports were gone to state that they believe it to be a steel bar that was stolen from prison weight room use.
3: So flung like a dumb a dumbbell. One of the other two inmates in the area with Dharma was also attacked. Scarva, who is black, wanted revenge for the wrongs that Dharma had done to so many black people. The majority of Dharma's victims were black. Scarva is said to have had delusions that he is Christ. He has been in psychiatric observation and treatment several times with diagnosis of bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. He was later found guilty of the murder and his prison sentence was extended. A jury apparently did not believe that he was insane. Christopher Scarver on killing Dharma said that he grew to despise Dharma because he would fashion severed limbs out of prison food to taunt the other inmates and he would even drizzle packets of ketchup to display blood.
4: Yeah, I don't know if
3: that's him actually doing that or him believing that he'd
4: been doing that. Yeah. Interesting thing as well from this is a film that I've never watched The Exorcist uh, 3. I've seen the first one, I think perhaps the second one, but Adama would watch this before going out on his murderous sprees. Um, he, and he would get derived pleasure from watching that tape because he believed himself to be evil. I think it kind of hyped him up to kind of go out there and, and commit those crimes as well, mm-hmm. which is very, very peculiar.
3: Upon learning of uh, her son's death, Dharma's mother, Joyce, responded angrily to the media. Now is everybody happy? Now that he's bludgeoned to death, is that not good enough for everyone? The response of the families of Dharma's victims was mixed, although it appears that most people were pleased with his death. I mean, that we haven't even talked about the uh, the victims' families during the uh, the court. Yeah. During the, the trials, uh, it, it was very, very...
4: I mean, when you see statements from families talking yeah. to the killer anyway, it can always be so cold. And, and obviously, like just them, they're of pure emotion coming out. They definitely let him know what they thought of him. Even Lionel would go on to say, I, I wasn't surprised at all by their reaction. I would have been the same way. Yeah, it's very moving when you, if you watch the reactions there.
3: Yeah. Uh, his father, Lionel, would later go on to write a book from the perspective of raising America's most famous serial killer, which drew a lot of criticism at the time. From obviously. Mrs. Bundy? Lionel admits in his book A Father's Notebook that he was largely absent during Dharma's younger years due to his status as a student pursuing a degree in chemistry. He then admits that he thought he was doing the boy no harm while raising him, but he does feel that he bears some of the responsibility for Dharma's outcome. I really want to tell parents what I think they should be looking for in rearing their children, he told Larry King Live. He detailed that the only red flag from Dharma's childhood that he and Joyce were aware of is that they didn't find out that he was spending time travelling along rural roads collecting roadkill and keeping a stash of the dead animals. He said, if I had known about the roadkill, that would have been a red flag. I would have done something immediately, intervened, but before that, there wasn't really anything.
4: And in 2014, the animal rights organisation, PETA, led calls for Dharma's childhood home to be transformed into a vegan restaurant called Eat for Life and compared Dharma's victims with the animal cruelty found in the slaughterhouses. They did similar with Robert Picton, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, using him as, as a campaign. Uh, there's even a Jeffrey Dharma musical, uh, meaning that Dharma's joined the ranks of other iconic killers such as Jack the Ripper and Sweeney Todd. Lots of other so- lots of songs inspired by Dharma. Uh, Dharma the Embalmer by Blood Duster, Apartment 213 by nation Jeffrey Dharma, eat your heart out. By mm. calm before, and of course, Dharma is dead. By the violent femmes.
3: There's no Jeffrey Narma, The people Narma.
4: No. Catchy. So yeah, that is a, a bit of aftermath there as well. I thought because Ben, because how um how well your jobs went down with for BTK. Don't know if you had any Thank ideas you. for any uh job roles for Dharma too.
3: I have not thought about job roles. I was fascinated by the roles he actually held. soundwood shop, chocolate factory, blood bank. Blood bank, army uh, surgeon, mm. not surgeon, obviously, army medic.
4: Because he's quite tall, he's very blonde. I could imagine him working at a swimming park, at the flume at the top, yep. green light, yep, go through.
0: That's literally what I was thinking in See my
4: that. head. Really? I should, I should have Really said good.
0: That, that's amazing. That is. That's literally how I was picturing it. That's, that's brilliant.
4: That's mad. And I also thought he could, I don't know why, picture him at a cinema or standing behind the counter or whether you buy the kind of refreshments and just kind of lazily standing there.
3: Both good shouts so far.
4: Yeah, that is mad down there. We were both thinking swimming, man.
3: Ben, I mean,
4: I think you've said to me already that you're not very happy with the lookalikes you had.
3: Or- yeah, not super pleased with my lookalikes. We've, I've had better weeks, but obviously this was the audience vote. We didn't have as much turnaround time as we normally get. So I did struggle. I did struggle a lot. However... I think if you threw, you know, two or three photos of young Jeffrey Dahmer together... Okay, I think we're going to get the same person. Go on. ...and then threw in a photo of young Austin Powers... Okay, I was not thinking that. <laughs> no. You probably wouldn't be able to spot which one is Austin Powers.
4: Yeah, no, that's fair. I I'd give you that.
3: Actually, that's pretty bloody good.
4: A young, A young Jurgen
3: Klopp. Oh, wow.
4: At a few different stages of his life.
3: Yeah. Oh, that's good. But I think
4: it's more. Um, I wouldn't say lookalikey. I'd do a bit of a you here, probably brother. No, I think that was good. But that I think I think Austin Powers one. Yeah, I was. Think, I was trying. Yeah. I
3: was trying to think of a young one of him, but I couldn't. I couldn't get there. To make this slightly easier for our, our fantastic editor, Mr. Ben Bonsi, as well. If you kept the same childhood images mm-hmm. in place, I also think uh, if you threw in Spike Dudley, <laughs> he might. Um, he might get lost in the mix as well.
4: He's got a beard,
3: but. Yeah. I think the Austin awesome Glass one was,
4: Yeah, the glasses work yeah the yeah. Beard is
3: I mean on the wrestling theme as well my, my final one is I was trying like, to think of a wrestling one I don't want to throw any shade because I know that some of the guys actually do listen to the podcast uh, it's uh, the fantastic wrestling YouTube channel Cultaholic Young Dharma looks a lot like a fantastic presenter on there by the name of Adam Pacitti who's very charismatic don't want to at all feel like this is throwing any shade but I think that's not, not too bad I think your next one's better. but uh. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then a very, very young Dharma looks like a, a very, very young Justin Bieber. Obviously, they they t- they chose different paths.
4: It's weirdly, I was thinking Bieber, but I didn't find out him wearing glasses. So I agree with you, there, but I think your Austin Powers one
3: is very... I did not think... When you said it, I was like,
4: ah, it's but no, spot on. Anyway, guys, if you are still hungry for more, uh, we have... Nom, 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 nom. Nom, nom. Sorry. <laughs> we have a Patreon page, which we have... Way over 60 cases on there now. Every week we have a new case going, popping up on there. So it's roughly about quid a week. Patreon.com forward slash Could Murder a Pod. Yes, indeed. And we also have a store if you're after any merchandise. We've got posters. We've got mugs. We've got clothing. Mm-hmm. So, and stickers. Let us know if there's anything you want to see in the store as well that we haven't got. And um, We're always willing for new ideas for the store. And yes, and please give us a rating over on Spotify wherever you listen to your audio podcasts. It's very much appreciated. We will read out some of the reviews on the Apple reviews that we said we were going to do ages ago. Yeah, uh, I forgot about it this week, but we will do that in the finale. Please, guys, if, if I forget, blame Ben and Dan for not reminding me, it's all
3: on them. Seems fair, that seems fair. And we'll be back next week for the series finale, which we're really, really excited for. And I honestly don't think anybody is going to guess uh, what it's going to ben, be.
2: are we still doing... The best ICMAP case of all time. Yeah. I just went... Oh.
4: So, man, we're not doing that. That'd be terrible. But we will be back with a case which none of you are going to guess. Feel free to guess in below. If you do get it right... A can of Coke <laughs> in the post. <laughs> It'd be fizzy. Come on, Ben. Anyway, guys, like we always say... We say this all the time. Keep doing... What you doing?
3: Well, well, unless it's... You know, the audience vote... And you you voted for Dharma. You voted for Dharma.
4: Ben Ben did not want Dharma. Let's just say Ben did not want Dharma. Okay, didn't know. <laughs> We're very tired. It's very late. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. And until next time, toodle pip. See ya. Bye. That's haunting. Just imagine Dan with an ultra skull saying that. <laughs>
3: See ya. Dragonflies. In the background. Don't try and ruin it. was <laughs> done. That was legendary. 8th of September, 1986. Dharma attended the Milwaukee State Fair, where he deliberately exposed himself while urinating in front of a group. Sorry. Not, but it's not funny. It's not funny. That's not funny. <laughs> what, kids seeing a grandma. home? on a fucking Ferris wheel. <laughs> piss everywhere. So much piss. <laughs>
0: You have been listening to I Good a Podcast. Written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter. Produced and mixed by Dan Lambert at Boston Sound. Additional research and timelines written by Danielle St. Romain. Artwork and animation by Phil Wooten. And theme song by Alfie Indra. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe on YouTube and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter just search at could murder a pod for additional and exclusive content please check out our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash could murder a pod I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.